Amen. Praise God. I want to talk to you today about a, 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 a subject that I, I believe is uh, fitting for Mother's Day, and yet it's uh, applicable to everyone's life. And, and I believe we'll see the connection as we go along today. We're going to talk about going from barrenness to fruitfulness. From barrenness to fruitfulness. When someone's barren, that means they cannot conceive. They cannot have a child. But I want you to know that we serve a God who's the God of the impossible. He's a God of miracles. And uh, uh, that there is never a time where someone's beyond hope and beyond the possibility of conceiving, either naturally speaking or, or uh, figuratively speaking. We can go from barrenness to fruitfulness. And, and if there's a, a more detailed uh, description of what we want to minister to today, today would be this, how God used six barren women to bring God's ultimate gift into the world and what we can learn from them. How God used six barren women to bring God's ultimate gift into the world and what we can learn from them. And do you know who God's ultimate gift is? Come on now, say the name. Yeah, hallelujah. And, and so we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, take a look at this. And, and, but also every step along the way, we're going to go ahead and see some things that are so appropriate and fitting for our lives and for our process from going to the promise that God makes to us to the actual provision of that promise. Amen. First of all, let's take a look at the promise, the original promise that God made when Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Come on now. You know, Genesis 11, 29 to 30, it says this. Then Abraham, or I should say Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Rizkah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now let's look at what happens next. This is the end of chapter 11, the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we are, we've got a scenario of Abram's wife, Sarai, being barren and not able to have children. And the next thing God does is talk to Abram and said, I will make of you a great nation. Well, that's pretty neat, Lord. How are you going to do that? But did the Lord keep his promise? He made one. Did he keep it? Yeah. Genesis 21 shows us this. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Someone say God keeps his promises. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Hallelujah. Now, now this first step along the way is the promise. 
God made a promise. You think God fulfills his promises? Oh yeah, but when you first get the promise and you see absolutely no sign of that, you can have a reaction. Anybody ever had a reaction before? Yes, Sarah had a reaction. Her initial reaction was laughter. And I'll tell you, when you're barren in a certain area in your life or a certain way in your life and you get a promise from God, hey, yeah, you might have a good laugh about it too. As a matter of fact, if Sarah was around today, she'd be, you know, taking these side profile pictures of herself. Trying to find a baby bump that's not there. Come on now. And, and, and you know, she, she may put out a post out there that said, the Lord said what? L-O-L, R-O-T-F-L. If you don't know what it means, it means rolling on the floor laughing. Come on now. But you see, at first, her laughter was a laugh of doubt because she's going to see how it's going to happen. But God changed that laugh of doubt into a laugh of faith. And you see, though her initial reaction was laughter, ultimately, the ultimate response she had was one of faith and perseverance. Because when it comes to ultimately receiving God's promise, you can say it like this, when it comes to receiving, there is no conceiving without believing. Somebody get it today. When it comes to receiving, there is no conceiving without Believing. Hebrews 11.11 reveals this about Sarah. It says, Sarah herself also received strength. That's the Greek word dunamis, to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Hallelujah. Her initial reaction was laughter, but her ultimate response was faith and perseverance. It went from a laughter of doubt to a laughter of faith, and she bore a son named Isaac, which means laughter. Hallelujah. So Isaac's birth was just one step in the fulfillment of God's promise. As a matter of fact, that, that, that was one piece of the big picture because the ultimate big picture was that that was one first step to the ultimate plan of getting Jesus into the world. And we see that in Galatians 3, verse 16, where it says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as of one and to your seed, who is Christ. Hallelujah. So we see God started this ultimate plan with a promise that he made to Abram and Sarai, who later became known as Abraham and Sarah. Hallelujah. And so what God started with them would ultimately manifest in Jesus, but there were more steps along the way. Sarah was the first of the barren women that got used in this process. And just to make it clear, we're not just talking about uh, women who are directly in the lineage of Jesus. We're also talking about women who, uh, who bore children that were in other ways used that had a direct connection with the Lord Jesus, even though not directly in his lineage or in, in uh, one of his descendants or his, uh, uh, you know, the fathers before, shall we say. 
So we've got the promise, and next after the promise, you've got the prince. Come on now. Because Abraham and Sarah gave birth to Isaac, and Isaac married a girl named Rebekah, who gave birth to Jacob, who we know as Israel. Israel meaning prince of God. Come on now. Now it's interesting. Genesis 25, verse 21. So we see Sarah at one time, Sarai, who became Sarah, at one time being barren, and then you've got Rebekah. Genesis 25, 21 says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And who did she conceive? She conceived twins in a womb. Esau and Jacob. Jacob, a name that means uh, supplanter. You know, it's kind of like, you know, he's the guy who would try to get the other one out of the way so he could get there. You know, uh, uh, Jacob would do like some people do in corporate America today. You know, step over, step on, step over anybody who gets in your way to get to what you want. Lord have mercy now. Come on. But you see, God turned a trickster and a deceiver into a prince. And, and one, one thing that we see here in the prince, we see that God made the promise, but in this part of the process where, where, where we see the prince, that's not P-R-I-N-T-S, that's P-R-I-N-C-E, just so you know what I'm talking about. But, but in this part of the process, we see this, that God does some character adjustments. Whoa, hallelujah. Don't you love to talk about that? And I got a word for you today that God needs to do some character adjusting on us while we're on the way to that place of fruitfulness. There's some character adjustment to be done. And let me give you this word. Let God be the chiropractor of your character. Mm. I'm going to slap you again today. Let God be the chiropractor of your character. When you need some adjustments, when you need some tweaks, God's got a table for you to lay down on. And if something's not been right in the character, God knows how to make the necessary tweaks to the character so that everything's in alignment. Hallelujah. Let God be the chiropractor of your character. Because you see, he does this several ways. One thing he does, he often does this by calling us something different than what it seems we are. Oh yeah. He often does this by calling us something different from what it seems we are. Because you see, he's a God, Romans 4, 17 reveals, who calls the things that be not as though they were. See, he called Abraham a guy with no kids. He called him the father of a nation. He called Jacob, who was a deceiver, a prince. He called Gideon, who was hiding and fearful and shaking in the corner. He called him a mighty man of valor. Because you see, when God wants to make an adjustment in your character, one of the first things he does is he calls you something different than what it seems you are. But then the, the, uh, another thing that we see in this character adjusting, 
And uh, Genesis 22, uh, 32, 22 to 30 really tells the whole story of this. You can read it on your own time. But you see, Jacob had an encounter with God. He had an encounter with God. It took more than a kiss to turn that frog into a prince. Come on now. Hey, it took a full-blown encounter with Almighty God to turn that frog into a prince. And it's interesting because after this encounter, and of course it said the angel smote him in his thigh and it said he, he, he will walk differently after that. He had a little uh, gimp or a little uh, limp or something going on. But I got to tell you, when you have your experience with God, you're going to walk different too. When you have your experience with God, when you have an encounter face to face with Almighty God, it affects your walk. It affects the way you do things. And I got a message for the girls today. It's Mother's Day, so we can talk to the girls. Hey, girls. Let, let me talk to you something about, about the, the, the frog here who became a prince, I highly recommend to you based on the authority of the word of God, if he's still in frog stage, leave him alone. (laughs) Don't go ahead and think about pursuing something with somebody who's still in frog stage. Until you know that he's transformed into prince, forget about it. Because you see, some frogs choose to stay frogs. See, Kermit used to sing, it's not easy being green. You'd be singing, it's not easy living with Mr. Green. Come on now. So just a little side note for you there. But you see, Jacob became Israel, the prince of God. And in this way, we see the character adjusting that God does. And that's such an important part of the process along the way as we're going from the promise to ultimately receiving that thing which was promised to us. Jacob, or Israel, was also the father of Judah. And Jesus, as we sang today, this morning, is the lion of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Judah. So Jacob was instrumental in this process by bringing Judah into the world, but also bringing another son into the world named Joseph. And that brings us along to the next step. We've got the promise, and then we've got the prince, and now we've got the preserver. Because Jacob... You know, you know the story. He, he went over to, to Laban's house and said, you know what? I, I love your, your second daughter, Rachel, and, and she is just, she's all that. And uh, uh, they agreed. He said, I worked seven years so I can marry her. He worked seven years, honeymoon night, dark tent. Nobody knows what's going on. I mean, you know what's going on, but you don't know who, who it's going on with. The next morning, he looks and he realizes this ain't Rachel. And Laban had actually given him his firstborn daughter, Leah, instead of Rachel. And so here he goes another seven years to finally get Rachel. But an interesting thing is that Rachel herself also was barren. Genesis 31 
says this, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Later on in that chapter, verse 22, we see this, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Oh, hallelujah. Think about this. All the time you've read in your Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, over and over and over again, you read about that. And isn't it interesting that in all three situations, you've got guys with wives who can't have babies. And say, Lord, this is your plan on how to make a great nation? To work it around these guys who are marrying girls who can't have babies? Don't you love the way God works? He just likes to show up, show off, show out, and, and, and looks to find uh, not, not the, the route that everybody else would take. Everybody else would want to take the, the, the most di direct, straight line to get somewhere. And, and God likes to take those scenic routes to get there. Where, where you can say, the only way this could happen is that God has to be God. The only way this could happen is that God has to be real. He, the, this is supernatural. I mean, for this to happen naturally is one thing. But God chose a supernatural way. God chose the road less traveled. Hey, God chose a way to be able to show off his miraculous power. Hallelujah. Now, what about Joseph, the preserver? We saw the promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah. We saw Isaac born. Then, then we saw the, uh, the prince, Jacob, who became Israel. And now we see the preserver. Because circumstances can threaten the future of your fruit. You're on the way from barrenness to fruitfulness, and on the way there, you can have circumstances that can threaten the future of your fruit. But God has a strategy to preserve you and to keep you going even in the toughest of times and to preserve that fruit until the time when it's ready for picking. Hallelujah. We see this as the theme of Joseph's life. Genesis 45, 7. He, he says, uh, you know, just lays out his destiny in a sentence. He said, and God sent me before you. He's talking to his brothers to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Hallelujah. Now think about this. Think about how important this is to the plan of God and ultimately to Jesus coming. Because Jesus was not a descendant of Joseph. We already established he was a descendant of one of Joseph's brothers, Judah. Yet at the same time, if the children of Israel cease to exist off the face of the earth. If the, if the seed dies, you never get to the fruit. You never get to the ultimate destination and the ultimate thing that God had in mind when he made the promise, which culminated in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is Joseph called by God to keep his brothers alive, to keep Judah alive, because if, if, if Judah dies, it messes with the plan. But by Judah remaining alive, 
the seed remains alive. Come on now. <laughs> the promise is still intact. That seed's still growing and getting to the point where fruitfulness would eventually come. Hallelujah. And you know, another beautiful thing you see in the life of Joseph, ah, I love it, is that God can take lemons and make some country time lemonade. Hallelujah. Genesis 50, 20, the words of Joseph to his brothers. But as for you, he said, you meant evil against me. They meant evil against him when they threw him into a pit. They meant evil against him when they sold him into Egyptian slavery. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And I want you to know there's time when you're believing God for something, you've got the promise. You've gone through the period of, shall we say, character adjustment where you let the Lord work on you. But then there's this time of, of the preserver, the time of preservation where uh, there are circumstances that are coming and rising against that thing. And, and, and you need some preservation to keep this thing alive and going. You need some preservation to get it through to the other side. And it's interesting in these cases, the plan's not always clear at first. As a matter of fact, sometimes... It looks like we're going backwards. But ultimately, when all is said and done, you can look back and see the hand of God so clearly. Come on now. Woo! Anybody there right now? Anybody there where you, you, you seem to be going forward and then you hit that time where it's like, whoop! We're going backwards. And you don't quite see exactly, Lord, how are you going to work this out in the grand scheme of things? But you see, you're not there yet where you can look back and stand in awe and say, oh, I see it now. See, it's easy when it's done to look back and say, well, look what the Lord has done. Yeah, but before you get to the point where you say, look what the Lord has done, you're at the point where you say, Lord, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> hey, come on now. I can't be the only one in the house. Somebody help me today. Hallelujah. So we see the promise. And the prince, how God turned a frog into a prince. Come on. We see the preserver, and now we see the protector. Because there was a man named Manoah who had a wife who was barren and gave birth to a young man named Samson. Come on now. Judges 13, starting with verse 1, it says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a man, a certain man from Zorah, uh, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Later in the chapter, verse 24 reads this, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. Interesting thing, if you go back to verse five, one of the things that the angel said about Samson at the end of verse five, uh, it says, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. 
interesting thing. See, the idea of people wanting to wipe Israel off the map is not a new concept. There's always been groups of people throughout history that have wanted to do that, and they're still around. Hallelujah, glory to God. But it's interesting here that God had a plan for protection because the Philistines would have loved nothing else than to go ahead and uh, uh, continue to oppress with no regard for, for life, with, with no regard for possessions, with, with no regard for, for anything. And yet God raised a protector. And you know what? On the way to your land of fruitfulness, from barrenness to fruitfulness in your life, I can guarantee you this, that there's times where the enemy wants to come and wipe out the seed, because if you can kill the seed, fruit comes from the seed. So if he can knock out the seed, he can knock out the fruit that would eventually come from the seed. But is there anybody who's willing to take a stand against the enemy and believe that the protection of God, the protection of God can cancel the enemy's plans and keep fruitness possible? Hallelujah. Be strong and be ready to fight against any evil that would want to wipe out your seed before it, comes, before it becomes fruit. That's an important line. The enemy who would love to come in and wipe out your seed before it becomes fruit. We see this in Malachi 3.11 in the New Living Translation. Malachi 3.11 in the NLT says this, your crops will be abundant. God says, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. There it is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Hallelujah. So when you've got the protector involved, then you are protecting your crop from failing or from falling or from dying before fruit bearing happens. God protects his investments. So here's the word for us. If God protects his investments, then if we invest in what he invests in, then our investments will be protected too. God protects his investments. So if you invest in what he invests in, your investments will be protected too. Another way of saying that scripturally speaking is except the Lord build the house. Oh yeah. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So if, you're, if the Lord's not building the house, what's happening? You're investing in your own thing and not in his thing. But when you invest in his thing, he protects his investments. Hallelujah. So we see this, we see the promise, we see the prince, that, that period of character adjustment. We see the preserver, we see the protector, and now we see the prophet. Because there was a, a woman who couldn't have children named Hannah, who gave birth to a prophet Samuel. Come on. First Samuel chapter one, verse two. And it says, he, that being Elkanah, had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. 
Later on, verse four, we read, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival also provoked her or taunted her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked or taunted her. Therefore, she, Hannah, wept and did not eat. And then at this point in time, she goes before the tabernacle to seek the Lord and to cry out the Lord because she just says, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. I can't take this anymore. I need God to hear me. And gets before God to the point where the priest thought he had a drunk there at church. Said that the way this woman's acting, she got to be on something. So he went and talked to her and said, you know what? This ain't no place for you to do your drinking and your acting out. And she said, I'm not drunk, sir. I've poured out my soul before the Lord. And he got a little clarity on things. And what did he say? Verse uh, 17, the same chapter. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She was fasting and she was weeping. But now, at this simple word she got from the priest, and putting her faith in the word she got, now she's going and her face is no longer sad, and now she's eating again. Verse 19, then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him from the Lord. Now, I want you to realize this. How significant is this idea of a prophet? You see, the promise was already spoken. God already spoke that promise from the beginning. Remember back to when God spoke to Abraham. But you see, that was the planting of the seed in the ground. And so now when God sent his prophet, and of course Samuel being one of many prophets, but uh, uh, one who's specifically named in this way, uh, uh, he watered the seed that was planted in the ground. You see, the seed was already planted. When it was initially spoken, when that promise was initially given, the seed was planted. But now the prophet further speaking to the situation is watering the seed that got planted. Come on. I want you to see this. And not only was he watering the seed, but the prophet was reminding the people that God did not forget his promise, but would surely bring it to pass. So on the way to the fruitfulness that you desire in your life, there's need to speak words regarding the seed. There's need to water the seed. Hallelujah. There, there's needs to affirm with your mouth that initial promise that was given, that initial promise that you're standing on, and say, yep, God said it, and it's true, and it'll surely come to pass, even though right now we are somewhere in the middle of the process between 
amen, and whoop, there it is. But, but uh, I, on my way there, I will speak words, and I will affirm that the promise is true, and I'm going to water the seed that God initially planted. Somebody say, prophesy. Did Samuel do that? Let's take a look at something very interesting in the book of Acts, Acts 3, 22 through 24. Of course, in this little context here, uh, uh, Peter starts talking about another prophet, Moses first. Look at verse 22. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. What happened as a result of the son of a barren woman named Hannah? What happened as a result of Samuel? Well, Samuel was one of the prophets that spoke of Jesus' day. We see that clearly in Acts chapter 3. Which means the seed that was already in the ground, he put some water on it. Hallelujah. And another interesting thing is Samuel was the prophet who anointed the king from whose body the Messiah would ultimately come forth. Because he anointed David as the king of Israel. So when you hear New Testament terms like son of David and he who sits on David's throne and he who has the keys of David, remember that it was Samuel, the son of a barren woman who anointed David to be king to begin with. Hallelujah. Prophesy. Water that seed. So we see the promise. God made a promise and the prince who could have easily been a frog, but God did some character adjusting. And then later on, we see that God preserved when, when circumstances came that could have wiped out the, the, this promise from ever being able to come to pass, that God preserved. He sent a preserver. God sent a protector. When enemies wanted to wipe out the seed, God sent a protector. And then we see that God sent a prophet who would speak into the future concerning the fulfillment of the promise and continue to water that seed along the way. And then what do you have next? You have the preparer because there was a woman named Elizabeth who could have no children who gave birth to a prophet named John the Baptist. Luke chapter one, verse five. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. Luke 1. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. This is verse 24. 
And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, a little bit further in the chapter, you see the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. And what does, Mary, uh, what does the angel say to Mary about Elizabeth? Verse 36, now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Somebody's going to get that and want to run around the church. She was called barren. Verse 37, for with God... Nothing will be impossible. Can I tell you, you are not what people call you. You are what God calls you. You are not what daddy or mama called you. You're not what uncle so-and-so called you. You're not what the mean teacher you had called you. If you want to know who you are, you are who God calls you. And with God, listen, 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 listen. With God, you are not limited by how it's been up till now. Well, it's just always been that way. I mean, you've always been that way. I mean, it's always been this way in your life. I mean, what makes you think it's going to be any different now? It's always been this way. You see, God does not care about how it's always been. Because if you get to a point and God says, whoop, we're drawing the line and it's this way now, you can be sure it's this way now. And how it's always been up until then does not matter because if God says, this is who you are now, hallelujah. You're not what other people call you. You're what God calls you. The angel said, she was called barren. <laughs> There's something about that wording. That's real specific. He wasn't saying I called her barren. He wasn't saying God called her barren. Other people called her barren. But it's not what other people call you. Hallelujah. Somebody going to take that and go to the bank and cash that check. Come on. Hallelujah. Matthew 3. You can skip over the first two and get right down to verse 3. Matthew 3, verse 3. Why is this called the preparer, because John the Baptist, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Hallelujah. So you see, when God is getting ready to do something, he prepares. And I got to tell you, when you expecting God to do something, it's time for us to prepare. Time of preparation is never wasted time. As a matter of fact, your acts of preparation can be your act of faith because when you're expecting God to do something. You see, it's interesting, you know, how, how often is it true that we prepare for the expected but not for the unexpected? So when you're expecting something, if you really are expecting it, it is reasonable that you prepare for it. Well, if you're really expecting what you say you're expecting from God, then go ahead and start preparing for it. Like Abram, when God named him Abraham, 
And that name, God actually put his name into Abram's name and made that name Abraham. And that was a sign of the fact that they were in covenant together, but that was a sign of also the, the, the promise that God had made. So, so uh, here's uh, Abram, everybody always known, as, uh, known him as Abram, and now he's going around saying, hi, I'm now Abraham. Even that speaking was preparation for what was going to come because he believed that what God said would actually happen. And so, he, I mean, here he is pushing around an empty carriage and, you know, the, the neighbors come around and say, Abraham, what are you going to do with all those diapers? Because I can assure you that it wasn't just the use of the word, but, but it was something that overtook his whole person. It got to the point where he was going to go ahead and act like, live like, function like this thing's going to happen because I know the integrity and the confidence I have in the one who said it. So it'll surely come to pass. You see, you're believing God for something. You get ready for it. You know, you, you, you believe in God for, uh, 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 for, for you, you need a better place to live. You, you know, you, you, you might have uh, that, that, that new child in the house and, and you need more space than you got right now. Well, then, you, you know, your act of preparation, your act of faith is not to just go ahead and keep on living as though you're going to live there forever. You're going to start thinking and planning as though something's going to happen if you really believe something's going to happen. Single men that believe in God for a spouse, come on now. Yeah, your act of faith is pick your socks up off the floor and keep the toilet seat down. Come on. You believe you're going to have a wife in the house? Well, go ahead and prepare. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Well... But you know, you got the promise, you got the prince, you got the preserver and the protector and the prophet and the preparer, and what did it ultimately lead up to? The provision. Because Jesus came, hallelujah. Jesus came. I said, Jesus came. And I want you to know your day of fruitfulness is coming, hallelujah. You just stay faithful during the process. The seed's been planted. You protect that seed. Guard that seed. Don't let circumstances mess with that seed. Don't let enemies mess with that seed. You prophesy to that seed. Water it. Water it. Keep it growing. And you prepare because you're expecting God to do something. And then what happens? Provision happens. And you know, the great thing is that when provision happens, you don't think of all the painful moments that led up. Look at something Jesus said. This is great. John 16. Listen to this. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now look at the next verse. A woman when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. 
But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. When you get to the point where the promise has come and you see promise fulfilled, where where you get to that moment of fruitfulness, the thing that you've been longing for and believing God for, when you get to that point, you're not looking back and moaning or bemoaning the fact that there was some process along the way, that there were some tough times along the way, that there were some times where you had to preserve, there were some times where you had to protect, there were some times where you just had to sweat a little bit. At that moment there, you're not thinking about the process that you went through to get there. You're just holding your baby in your arms and experiencing the joy of the moment. You're not thinking about the tough times that you had to go through to get there. You may know it's there, but you're not magnifying that. You're just glorying in God and glorying in the moment that the promise, the provision has now come to pass. Hallelujah. And as we close today, let me ask you this. What can you learn from the lives of six barren women? What kind of character traits can can you learn from them? Well, first of all, you can see faith and perseverance. Come on now. You see Sarah being a woman of faith. You see Hannah being a woman of faith. The moment where the priest said, the Lord has granted you what you requested, there ain't no more crying after that, no more fasting after that, no more hunger strike after that. She got up and moved on, hallelujah. In confidence that she was heard. And we know about Sarah and her faith as well. Some other traits, we see virtue and godliness. The, the fact that Sarah is described in 1 Peter 3, 4 through 6 as being a holy woman. Come on. And we see the, the, the description of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, in Luke 1, 5 to 6, as being righteous and, and, and her and her husband as being those who were sold out to God. So what kind of traits do you see? You see faith, perseverance. You see virtue and godliness. What else do you see? You see something called love, kindness, and self-control in the life of Hannah with Penina or Penina or whatever her name was. Ain't nobody talking about her now. Everybody knows who Hannah is, and you say, Penina, who that? (laughs) But there's no record in Scripture of Hannah ever lasting back. Despite the way she was persecuted, despite the way she was continually taunted by the other woman. There's no sign of her ever lasting back a sign of walking in love and kindness and self-control, biting the lip mm, when you really want to say something, holding back when you'd really rather go ahead and give her a, a piece of your mind and a piece of something else. So what kind of traits here? Faith, perseverance, virtue, godliness, love, kindness, and self-control. Ooh, sounds familiar. One more place we're going to go. Second Peter chapter one. And this is going to put the bow on the baby here today. Second Peter one, verse five. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, 
to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to not be barren? You want to be fruitful? These are the traits that these godly women had working in their lives that when you have working in your lives, you get the same result. You get the same fruit. You go from barrenness to fruitfulness. Somebody needs to give God some praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bow your heads with me. Let me just ask you a question. If you're here today and you realize, hey, I know I'm barren because I'm dried up inside. Uh, I'm lifeless inside. I, I don't know Jesus. I don't have life inside of me. I, I see these people around me with life inside of, of them and hope inside of them. I'm here. I, I'm feeling lifeless. I'm feeling hopeless. And I realize I've never given my life to the Lord Jesus. I've never put my faith in the fact that Jesus died for me and was raised from the dead so that I could be justified, so that I could actually be able to stand right in the sight of God, stand before God like I belong there. But this is your day. If that's you, I want to pray with you today. So if you realize I have not yet made my peace with God, and received the Lord Jesus Christ into my life and put my faith in him in his death and resurrection. This is your day to do it because this will change your life forever. Is that you? I want you to raise your hand right now.